the Richfield Branch Library Podcast, a conversational podcast about what we are reading. We are three library workers, and these are the conversations we have when we talk about books. On any given day, if you were to roll up a chair behind the desk, this is what you'll likely hear. So just who are we three? You're listening to Jen, Christina, and Kat. Allow us to introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. Great big world of podcasting. Um, I'm Kat, and I am the adult services librarian here at Richfield. And I am slowly but surely getting over my pod fright. And I am extremely, <laughs> I am extremely excited about this podcast. You're going to learn a little bit more about it in a moment, but it just made me very thoughtful about used bookstores and wonderful book sales that I've been to. Am I ruining anything? Oh, good. Okay. No, you're teasing. Or it's a teasing. tease there. This is a tease. This is like when someone walks by out of the cafe and there's a long line for the barista and they walk by with their perfect latte wafting by your nose and you're like, I want one, but you're still in line. So oh. at the end of this line, you will know what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Circling that. <laughs> yes, one step closer to the register. Oh, I'm Christina. I'm a public service assistant here at Richfield. And it's been so great to have book sales again. We weren't having them with COVID. You brought us closer to the line. But go yes. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The smell is overwhelming. <laughs> you weren't going to get a biscotti, but now you're staring at them eye to eye. Um, but it's been, it's been nice to get back into the, the swing of, of taking donations and getting rid of them. <laughs> And seeing what people are bringing, people are really bringing in some interesting stuff, I think, again, because they've had more time at home, perhaps, in the Mm -hmm. last two years. They're decluttering, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm Jen. I am the branch manager and teen librarian, and let's put you to the front of the line with the VIP pass. (laughs) I'm not sure whose idea this was, but our conversation today is we mind the book sale, Mm -hmm. and we're getting ready to have another book sale, and we just wanted to talk about all the fun things. We just went in and found all these really cool, neat books in the book sale through donations. So I don't think anyone here has one that was like discarded from our shelf. These are all like digging in and finding really cool, neat books. So um, unfortunately, these are not ones that you're going to find out on our display uh, of books to read from our podcast, but you'll see the books that we talk about on our Instagram, Richfield Branch. And so you can see some of the stuff that we find. And then I, we hope our goal is that uh, you are intrigued to come on down or any, wherever you are, wherever you're in, across the country. Yes. International, because we're, I don't know, are we international? I think we are. Um, we are. We are. Germany, we are. right? Well, I don't know who. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hello, Germany. Hello, whoever you are. And Do I feel you- like like one here and there. Take like pictures. A Australia and a oh, how fun! Take Japan. pictures of your book sale and send them to us. Yes. Oh, please. Yes. Oh, yes, that yes, would yes, be yes. so cool. Yes. So your mission, and you have to accept it, <laughs> is to go to your local library book sale and then um, take pictures of some of the stuff you find. But let's get going on what we find because I'm looking across the table at a selection of books. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Oh. <laughs> I have so many. I have so many. The pile just kept growing and growing and growing. 
So before I worked here at Richfield, I worked at Fairlawn, and one of my tasks was sorting through donations. Before we even gave them to friends, we saw what we could add in the catalog, um, which is a sad side note because a lot of the licensing agreements have changed, so we don't do that as much anymore. Yeah. We're not able to add. The, the library editions are a different edition than, than the ones that you would pick up in a bookstore often, so we do a lot less of that. But at the time, it was really fantastic because I got to see everything that would come in and even like we had a Barnes and Noble down the street and they would drop off like overstock and stuff it was amazing it was really really cool um so I had I had a ton of of weird old things that I had come across back then and then also I love looking at like bargain bins at like independent booksellers or different bookshops so I have I actually have two today that um are from the bookloft in German Village in, in Columbus so and I know this because they have big bright orange stickers they just stick right on the it's like the classic marks like, like it does not come off you can't pull it off without damaging the cover oh. so that's just part of the cover now and so that's the first thing I wanted to talk about is how weird ephemera and stickers and like the worn nature sometimes become part of your experience of that like the books that you get in a bargain bin are oh, a unique yes. object. It's different from that fresh so off true. the press. So the first one is um, The Uses of Enchantment by Heidi Jolavitz. And it had like this weird like little card stuck in it and this sticker oh, across cool. the front. And so now when I see people return a, cop- a library copy, it looks wrong to me because I'm used to, in my head, it has this orange square in the corner, and it's only my copy that has the orange square. Or um, this, someone just donated, and we had been talking, I've been wanting to read less by Andrew Sean Greer, and someone donated it. And it's got this fantastic blue, light blue cover, and the man is falling from the sky with all of his papers that he's writing, and this like pink stripe down the side, and like a pink, it's like pink accents, and there was a little pink piece of paper Look at that. sticking out of it. And guess what this is? It's plot relevant, because the guy is like his whole thing is he's trying to avoid going to his ex's wedding, so he takes accepts all of these like um literary right literary conferences and what is that (laughs) grab the microphone cat cat has read this i have not read this yet but it's been it's been on my long list and i've now moved it to my short list of like gotta read it but it has a pink baggage claim ticket that someone was using (gasps) so like the character is taking all these flights trying to avoid a thing and it has a baggage claim book so that wasn't part of the book that no how cool is that like not <gasps> that the coolest? Is so cool. I was just like I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be perfect for this episode. So you find gems. You do. If you open yourself up to the idea that all of these markings aren't actually abusing the books, they're adding to the story of this unique object, then sometimes it's plot relevant and other times it's just unique and fun. Um <laughs> then my other thought was I have picked up now two different books from book sales and bargain bins by Colson Whitehead. The Colossus of New York, which is a bunch of short stories, also has a bright orange book loft sticker on it. And The Intuitionist, which sounds so fantastic, and I can't tell you how many times I've picked this up, and then life takes over, and oh. it's just, I guess, not time yet. But um, 
so he these both of these I got probably 10 years ago now in separate things and not knowing who the author was and then um he's recently become more famous he wrote underground railroad which I also have not gotten to (laughs) but I was like when underground railroad came out I'm like well where do I know that name where do I know that name it's like because you have two of his books already (laughs) so one of these days Colson I'm getting to you (laughs) and finally this is a Fairlawn find it makes me so happy (laughs) it's absolute book it's the story, the Absolute Vodka advertising story. Oh, neat. Written by the guy who did, who managed their ad campaigns in the 90s and 2000s. So it's hilarious. The essays are written in that, like, real ad speak. It's almost self-satirizing. Because he, like, the way he talks about this stuff, like, on the one hand, it's, like, overly, ca- like, that forced kind of casual. Like, they talk about how they got an American distributor. And he's like, you know, oh, the, the importer was just happened to be out at lunch with the distrib, you know, like bumped into the distributor and the, his, this distributor had distributed this other liquor for him. And he was like, Hey, I've got new vodka and it's whole deal is it's from Sweden, not Russia. And the guy's like, Oh, you're so crazy. You find the weirdest stuff. He's like, all right, give me a case. We'll try it. And like, and then the rest, and that's yeah. How absolute vodka came to New York and then made its way through. And it's like, it can't possibly have been that honestly casual. I don't know. Right. It has that like, oh, like, oh, the 70s was such a small world and like there was only five guys doing all the things. Like, that's not how that works. But it has that like, you know, that yes. mythologizing sort of sense that, I don't know. It, like the whole thing just feels like a time capsule. It's like so, a madman like, circle. Like he just happened to be in the circle. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this, this you know, this guy took over the ad campaign while it was already in process. What a gig. They set, they tee up this fantastic, because, like, the whole thing is, okay, so they come up with this bottle. It was actually kind of cool. They, they come up with this bottle designed based on, like, Swedish medicine bottles, but, like, scaled way up. But it make like, the absolute bottle makes so much sense as a tiny bottle, doesn't it? Look at, like, the scale of yeah, it. Yeah, look at it. would that. make sense as a, you know, a medicine bottle. Of and that's not, and like, and now liquor bottles are all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, but, but back then. But back then, it was a big deal. And they had to, like, hey, they, like, talk about, oh, the special glass person that they went to. And, like, the first guy's like, it can't be done. And, like, the, you know, like, the next guy's, like, figured out a way to make it happen or whatever. And then they, the first photo that they took of it is so, like, flat and foggy. Look at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's absolute heaven. And they gave it little wings, and they're like, the wings are cheeky. Like, people will know that that's, like, comedic. But then they took it to a new photographer, and he, like, lit it different. And then that's when it got that, you know, that classic transparent yes. look. Oh, is yes. That, you like a spotlight on the front and then on the sides like you really want to emphasize the structure of the bottle instead of trying to light the vodka which is clear and that's not gonna be like absolute clarity yes advertising i mean what is clear after you drink 80 proof vodka well and then he's you know he's talking about like oh how at the time they really benefited from this idea of like oh are you uncomfortable getting you know like the liquor from russia like Sweden, Sweden's neutral, Sweden's pure. They're not, you know, they were like kind of 
playing up to this like suspicion that America had with like Russian oh, culture. Like, are you, do you want vodka, but you're not sure how you feel about Russia right now? Vodka from Sweden. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, clear hearted. <laughs> just a little bit like, wow, it's just, ooh, it's, it's cringy, but it's also, I don't know, kind of fascinating because that is sort of the appeal of vodka. It's like, oh, it just slips into a cocktail. It doesn't bring any of its own defining characteristics. Like, ideally, it just blends in. So then that's the campaign for, like, 20 years is this clear bottle set, you know, it sets up to be, it can do any, like, it, they. so, like, I was always familiar with, they have all the different artists. So, like, Absolute Warhol. Oh, wow. You know, like, all these really colorful... You can play. You can play with it so easily because it's a blank. It's a blank canvas. You know, so Keith Haring. They have different like New Yorker cartoonists. Can I find all the New Yorker cartoonists do different ones? They're so funny. Oh. I came. I saw. I had an absolute on the rocks. Now that's an absolute monarch. I mean, it's just like. The more, the more plain you can make something, then you have infinite options with the advertising to just bring, and then it, like the more artists you bring into it, now it becomes this fashion symbol. So they have like all these different models doing like weird fashion shoots that almost have like nothing to do with the bottle anymore. Um, <laughs> it's, so it becomes like these weird cultural oh. time capsule of like 80s and 90s high fashion magazine ads because they just they gave themselves total freedom by structuring it around something so minimal. Oh my gosh. So, it's really it's funny it it's funny to hear them talk about it and sometimes I'm like that really is genius. What and is- then other times I'm like that's so ridiculous and they're so pompous. <laughs> it's, it's like it it's just such a time capsule of a oh, book. It is. I was just so thrilled that the essays match exactly the tone of like you know they're the top of the world and now it's like absurd because it's been another 20 years and like who cares <laughs> but it's really it's really an amazing but the bottle is recognizable it feels like such. A if you put that bottle well and is recognizable like you would know that that was an absolute that's absolute font that's but absolute being, bottle like recognized at for your absence yeah you know like the defining characteristic is like null set it's just such a fascinating it works so well but it's just so funny to be like to be handed that campaign I don't know it's one of those like just don't mess it up and the guy's just so proud of it (laughs) um oh this is a fun one they did like different cities so they have like the Brooklyn Bridge and, like, the arches of the Brooklyn Bridge are the bottle shapes. Yes. So, I mean, it's really, I, they're very, play, like, the best ones are the most, like, playful. And you, it's amazing how much you can convey visually. But, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a real fun book. And I love pulling it out from time to time and, and being like, oh, look at this 80s and 90s art. But I hadn't really read a lot of the essays until getting ready for this episode I start reading them like oh these essays are perfect (laughs) the tone is just so perfect so Richard W. Lewis thank you for your service oh awesome (laughs) snap snap (laughs) 
Well, I pick out books when I go into book sale. I dream about the bookshelf that I will someday have. Aspirational someday. bookshelf. I have an aspirational bookshelf. I know how I'm going to decorate it. Um, or I would want one in my office, but I never go into my office, so why should I have it there? But So when I go through book sales, I'm like, this would be so good, backlit, and I would put this on the shelf, and this would go in this collection on this shelf. And so, so in my pretend bookshelf what I have and I found this in the most recent book sale I found these three little books and they are two inches by three inches and one is called the legendary unicorn and it even has a ribbon bookmark and gold uh end paper and it's just super super teeny (laughs) tiny I can't even read the read the um what it says and then I have a little golden book, little, like seriously, two by three, of the fuzzy duckling. And it's the size shrunk. of a duckling. Oh, look at it. It's just, it's just so teeny tiny. I can barely hold it. So I found these. And the other one is another little golden book of baby farm animals. And it has the spine tape that we all remember from our normal sized. Um, See, whereas when I was little, we had we had probably twenty of those little tiny ones. These ones, yes. Oh. To where when I first saw a little golden book that was like normal, yeah, the full size. I'm like, why is it giant? Yeah, I was like, what? I look, and that now I and I went back and looked. My ones from childhood, like, don't those say like the little little golden book or something? Yeah, the little little. You're right. Yes. And I was like, like, how can they call themselves little golden book when that's not the little one? And then I was like, oh, these are the little little golden book. They're so cute. (laughs) Of course, we had the super tiny ones. (laughs) So I love that find. I that would go in my bookshelf. I also forgot to bring. um, I found a shorthand book like a textbook that you would learn from what, whenever you learn shorthand. And I told Christina earlier, I said, that was one of my things during the pandemic. I thought I was going to learn shorthand and I just didn't have the mental capacity because all the squiggles look the same. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, I mean, I don't have any, I've tried before as well. I'm like, I can't even read this. They all look the same to me. (laughs) I was following along to the instructions and I gave up and I always, but it's like, I know I have it. So I left that one at home. That one is super fun. And then this one I've had for a while. It's the new joys of (laughs) jello. It came out in 1974 and the pictures are just everything you can imagine from 1974. Is that like a jello party? It's a jello party. I mean, everything is Everything is jello. I mean, look at the size of this glass jar. It looks like it's a washing tub made of glass. (laughs) And isn't that so fabulous? I mean, I love the girl's dress. I want that dress. Um, Is the dress made of jello? No, it is not, but it coordinates so nicely (laughs) with whatever is in that big jello dish. So, So you can make pink lady pie, and you can make jellied holiday nog doesn't that sound good (laughs) jellied holiday nog um it gets better and look at this picture i mean i don't even know what's floating in the jello there's things floating in the jello like lots of things like i love that they thought this was appetizing i mean i there's something about 70s photography yeah that's almost like i imagine not not to detract from anyone's lighting skill, 
but it's almost like I imagine homicide photos, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a certain (laughs) formaldehyde aspect. Yeah, it's it's like the contrast is messed with so that there's not like true dark and true light values. Everything gets like middle ground so that you can get... It's, I think it's like a way of showing the detail of every element, but you lose like the contextual, like, yeah, this is darker, this is lighter. I, and there's and they're also always so warm, and I always wonder yes. how much of that is printing and how much of that is lighting. They were making up for the decade itself. <laughs> <laughs> People weren't feeling very <laughs> happy. So. There's one called a grasshopper, and you put cream de mint in your jello oh wait can you do you have a photo of that? i um <laughs> i do and then I, I just missed the um patriotic mold but there's no picture of the patriotic mold well, very patriotic of them perhaps it didn't live up to its expectations i don't know what colors you would cre- you have a jello challenge creme de menthe sounds much better as yeah that sounds better as jello than eggnog eggnog is like it's already kind of gross and now you're making it a wrong texture yeah like popcorn jelly beans a this melon like bubble super leveled up though i mean i don't think that like if anyone ever says like jello shot to me i'm gonna be like look you don't understand the art of jello you need to try <laughs> need to the topaz parfait which is strong coffee oh. and lemon jello what? coffee and lemon yes is that like putting and coffee dream whip your... dream whip makes quite the appearance wait dream whip what's dream the difference whip. between dream whip and cool whip i don't know I don't know. We might have to have a podcast staff challenge where we make one jello a week. I mean, wouldn't she be so happy if you had these guys show up on your front door with this <laughs> huge at, jello? Look at what she's holding. It coordinates with her. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell where the food stops and she begins. <laughs> she blends in with her own jello mold. The cover is quite fabulous, though. Isn't it great? Look yeah, at is that. Is that a grasshopper on the front? It's similar, it's but it's in a bigger bowl. Oh God, that is it's a in a bigger book. bowl. I can't believe it's special offer ninety nine cents for that priceless book, the the new joys of Jello gelatin dessert recipe book. Isn't it? What a find! They should have drawn everything, and then I would have been it. I mean, the, the cover is better than photography. It's just like artful, isn't it? Yes. I I mean, this would be deserves to be backlit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I found Entertaining is Fun by Dorothy Draper. This is actually a reprint. It's not the one from 1941, though it looks like it. This is Dorothy from t- Draper. Is she with like Don Draper? I do know a little bit about Mad Men. I thought so too, <laughs> but she's like, um, wasn't she like a designer oh. and entertain? Like she was this very. She grew up in a very rich New York, born into wealth, and she just wrote the book on entertaining. So I, some of this. I just find so fun is, you know, don't do parties on a Friday or Saturday because you have two types of friends. You have your downtown friends and then you have your suburbanite friends. Wow. So you have to do your Sunday afternoon party when all of the husbands and extra men are available to help you. (laughs) (laughs) And they're usually, quote unquote, in a better frame of mind and nerves after a hard day at the office. So that's why you never entertain on a Friday because they're still frazzled. So I learned learned a little bit about that. And then there's, I learned so much from here. Um, Let's see, oh, and it's important to have like a back patio with an awning. That's why awnings were so popular. What about a railing? 
Well, it saves your furniture. Who cares about a railing? You had to save your furniture. <laughs> From sun glare. And she put out this, this like little cafe table and chairs. And her husband looked so relaxed when he would come home to her little patio that she says, I have no doubt because of this that it will be a very happy marriage. So that's all you need is to make a patio. Because he doesn't come inside. It's like being in the doghouse. <laughs> I'm fine out here, honey, under the awning. And entertaining some rules, the secrets of success are, this is on page 180, you feed him well, you think of his comfort and taste, and you amuse him. And don't forget to put flowers on your table because that helps after a hard day. Especially if he's allergic. And don't forget <laughs> to, quote unquote, feed the brute. Oh. And there you go. So I learned, I learned some things. Well, I was say the thing about this is when you first held up the cover, the microphone cord was like kind of covering the middle of, yeah, so I, I read it as entertaining is fun, exclamation point. Dorothy Draper, how to be a popular heiress. And then I, because the cord was over the middle of hostess. Oh. And so I read it as how to be a popular heiress. But I don't think and then would. I felt that was more apt after we started talking about awnings and back of patios mm-hmm. and bistro seating. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will channel Don Draper because mm. I found the advertising book, Fourth Edition. Huh. What? Oh. Yeah. Isn't this by Albert Wesley Frey? And copyright. See, I think I got the 1971 and not the 1961, but it was first published in 1947. So it talks about sales and promotion and agency relationships. And Does it talk about how they shot the photographs for the new Joys of Jello? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's in here. But you should well, you describe the cover because the cover is really cool. It's like it says it's advertising the fourth edition with three lines under it, and I think that's fun. Oh yeah, they forgot oh, the line. They forgot a line because well, they were so a, busy. Talk about a misprint. I found this one, and it's called Sight. Only it was bounded upside down, <laughs> and it comes with an eye chart. But it was bounded sight without glasses. But it's upside down. I feel like that's an Oculus trick. (laughs) (laughs) So see, you can find also, and then I found these really old primers, child classics. I'm afraid to open this one because it feels super brittle. Um, And it does say 1909 Uh. on it. And the first little thing in your child classics is wire, briar, limber, lock, Three geese in a flock. One flew east, one flew west, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So it has a testimonial in the front of why this is a good phonetic way to teach your children. So this is 1909. The Wailing Siren Mystery, Hardy Boys. Oh. I found that in there. I should probably lock these up when I get home. And I love the end paper. Oh, yeah. So you just find a lot of Gorgeous illustration. Amazing that the Hardy Boys, like, I think that's what like, is amazing about Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, is that when you read them and adults get annoyed at them, you're kind of like, as a kid, you're like, oh, but they're on the case, they know, but then you are and grown up reading it and you're like, I would totally also be like, kid, you're trespassing in my yard. <laughs> get out of that tree. You're going to fall on your own little 
weird hunting knife thing that you got in your belt like an idiot. <laughs> Safety first. Oh, listen, look at the sound of you. Oh. Oh. And then I got the Happy Hollisters and the Scarecrow Mystery, and it's another, like, adventure. But this one, too, like, someone cut cut stuff out. Oh, okay, right. I don't know why they cut stuff out, but it's just so cool. And when you open it, I feel like the binding's going to come apart. But you thought of that. I don't know, because I'm afraid to, like, really read it. But isn't it? It just has really cool... Scarecrows are really creepy. Illustrations. Oh, scarecrows. So I was just saying, scarecrows are so creepy that I feel like that's probably spine-chilling, and you should read it when it rains and the thunder is booming and you're alone, only surrounded by tiny candles. Well, it could be, because there's a prowler. A prowler. (laughs) A prowler. And there's some meddling kids in here, I'm sure. Those meddling kids. (laughs) So those are my finds. Yeah, speaking of old things, I went to my mom's place, and I like walk in the front door, and I hear this like do 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 do. It's like this creepy lullaby song, and I'm like, is my my mom's ringtone weird now? Cause I'm you know I don't know, and it just keeps playing. And so I go up to this little space she has over the garage, and there is the creepy clown lullaby thing that a very dear friend of my mother's gave me when I was a child and it's beautiful and it's probably porcelain or something but it's just on the floor spinning in a circle what playing this creepy lullaby and so I go downstairs and my mom is in the kitchen I'm like mom um gee why do you have the creepy clown (laughs) playing and she goes what and I said the clown I mean you can hear it from the stairwell like it's playing that really creepy lullaby that used to terrify me as a child I would like throw things over this clown because it scared the crap out of me and she goes oh my god and I was like did you wind it she said yes I did wind it but like five hours ago (laughs) and and it just like and it wouldn't work and no it was up there playing and I couldn't get it it waited for you it did it did and it was spinning with its happy little clown face looking at me so I put it in the box of things to give my niece when she's older. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's the trauma. So yes, it just reminded me of that. That's it, what a good auntie does. Yes. yes. Well, that's why my mom was winding it to show my niece. And I'm like, are you trying to upset her? <laughs> this scared me, not my niece. Obviously, I'm a coward. I pulled it out of the box and shrieked a little, but I was alone in the room, so no one knew that till now. But (laughs) anyways, book sales stuff. Okay, book sales are freaking awesome, and I really love to use bookstores, lurking in them, to be quite honest. And there used to be this really amazing one, and I'm so sad it's gone. It was called The Book Barn up in New York State. And it was just now, the only good thing is when they eventually closed it, it then turned into like a cheese store. And I mean, if you're gonna lose the bookstore, like cheese is the second best cheese is second best it's the only thing that can be replaced because it was such a big building and I was like and now you're full of cheese (laughs) this is great anyways it was like a labyrinth of books it was like the way you want a book sort of look you know really tall shelves and and so on and so forth um so I really loved that one and found lots of really crazy stuff there and I don't have it anymore which makes me quite sad but I was rooting around in their like old magazine pile once and I found this really old Hollywood magazine with Lucille Ball. And it was like Lucille Ball in the 40s, like very pre-I Love Lucy. And she's at home and she's like, you know, one of Lucille Ball's like favorite pastimes is 
putting little plastic flowers, you know, <laughs> and it was just all these things you can't in a million years imagine Lucille Ball actually enjoying, <laughs> you know, like her being domestic while wearing her perfect makeup and things. Actually, there was a, an episode where she, her and, it's not Ethel, who, Ethel, and they were trying to get a flower garden contest, but they destroyed each other's gardens. So oh, she went out and bought me. plastic flowers. Oh my gosh. Do you remember That's that? That's where she got the idea from that interview. Yes. She carried it with her all her life. Thread. Thread. <laughs> and also in it was, I love Lauren Bacall. And there was a, it, I think it was from 44 because it was Lauren Bacall right after To Have and Have Not. And these like gorgeous photos of her and stuff. And so I just was thinking, I was so excited when I found it. I was like, I can never afford this. And I think it cost a quarter. And I remember thinking, don't you know how priceless this is? <laughs> and I showed it to my grandma, and she was incredibly uninterested. I think she had maybe arranged too many plastic flowers in her day. So it just seemed every day to her. But did they melt in the sun like they did on the episode, which made it so funny? And that's how they were caught. Because she almost won the award. And then they said, what is going on with your flowers? And they started to melt. Because they were made out of plastic. I, I don't know how hot chocolate. the sun was that day. <laughs> <laughs> there was a solar storm that day. Okay, so the two books that I found for this particular podcast at the library book sale, which is totally fabulous, I was kind of sitting on desk, actually, and, you know, just gazing at the beautiful plants in the foyer that I could never keep alive, and I'm glad other people's job to water them because I always forget. And I was like, hmm, look, books. And my eyes were just drifting over the book spines from a distance. And all of a sudden, there they were. Interesting spines. And so I leaped out of my chair. Actually, I kind of fell because it rolls. And I went sprinting over, and I found two awesome books. And so the first one, actually, I don't know if anyone else does this, but you know when you're at the grocery store and you see, like, a dented box of pasta? And the pasta is fine, but you know that no one is going to buy it because it's not... A perfect box. I always buy things in damaged boxes. Makes my mom crazy. <laughs> it makes her really upset. But it's not like I'm buying a car with a dented bumper. You know, it's like it's things that are, you know, still fine, not going to compromise your safety. Anyway, so I found Auntie Polly and the Sicilian Lions, which is a mystery novel by Mario Giordano. And I adore this series with every fiber of my being, but I have to do a full disclosure if you're going to come sprinting to the library book sale to, to buy it. It has minor, might I stress to you, minor water damage. And I noticed this when I picked it up, and that is why I'm talking about it today, because I saved it, because I was afraid it would get discarded. But minor, no mold, adds to its character, and Auntie Poldy loves her Prosecco, so you can just think of it as part of the book. So she spilled Prosecco on it. You might have oh. Poldy's actual copy. And then the other one I'm going to talk about is <clears throat> The Word for Woman is Wilderness, a novel by Abby Andrews. And I totally admit that this is the second spine I saw, and it had a little radio icon for the publishing company, and I was like, that is so cool. So this was purely an aesthetic choice, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, why would you not? It will go from, on your future bookshelf. Yes, it's, it will. It really will. Because the name of the publishing company is $2 Radio, Books Too Loud to Ignore. That's awesome. Which is why I heard it calling, obviously, and fell out of my chair. Didn't hit my head, so it was all good. So the first one I'm going to talk about is The Word for Woman is Wilderness. Because I had never heard of this book, but the cover is really rad. It's like 
the circle motif with mountains and the silhouette of what I assume is the protagonist and some penguins. I freaking love penguins. So cute. Anyway, so I know nothing about this book. And it's actually not in the library system, but I was intrigued by pretty much everything about it. Like they call it a thinking woman's adventure story, beautiful, thoughtful, and often humorous. Um, and so I started looking it up and to my great surprise and interest, there are actually quite a few reviews for it. And I pulled two from The Guardian and Publishers Weekly because other than Christina um, reviewing my book and just skewering it to death if I ever published one, which I'm really looking forward to, um, The Guardian review by Sarah Moss was like so wonderful and actually quoted in the beginning of this book, but they shortened it. The first line of the review is, the word for woman is wilderness is unlike any published work I have read in ways that are beguiling, audacious, and occasionally irritating. And I was like, if that is not a Christina line, I don't know what is. I love this. I was so irritated. <laughs> so anyways, the book is about Erin um, Miller, who is the main character. She's 19. She's never lived near the wilderness, but she's very fascinated by stories about, you know, adventurers who are predominantly male. And so she decides to have her own journey into the wilderness for like, you know, finding out about herself. There's also some eco-feminist things going on. And the Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review, which was quite fascinating. And there's one line that they pull out of it where Erin um, Miller says, wilderness, or sorry, wildness in women, she says, does not mean autonomy and freedom. Their wildness is instead an irrational fever. Women are both excluded from and banished to nature. So it's really just an incredibly fascinating sounding book. And one thing that Sarah Moss was saying in her review after she called it occasionally irritating, which I love, I too can be occasionally irritating, so I really like this a lot. Um, she writes, the mixture of literary forms as part of Andrew's response to the obvious question, which Aaron is bright enough to confront repeatedly, if not to resolve, if heading west into the wilderness is a patriarchal idea based on the conviction that the human male relationship with the natural world is essentially violent and dominant, what is a feminist doing alone in Alaska? Is she merely repeating the male explorer's quest to find himself, only this time with a moon cup in her pocket? I don't actually know what that means. I should have Googled it, I'm sorry. <laughs> or, doing, or doing something genuinely radical. There really isn't an answer, but rather a disassembling of the question. And I found that really interesting that I'm really excited to read this book because it just sounds like a really complex inspiration for really contemplating, yes, what, what does it mean, ecofeminism, our relationship to the natural world, how that is fictionalized or not fictionalized, um, and really, as Moss says, far more astutely than I do, questions about gender, genre, and the concept of wilderness. And um, so she said it displays wide reading, clever writing, and amazing dialogue, and then I feel like Sarah Moss is someone I want to be friends with because her last line is, it doesn't really matter if middle-aged readers are annoyed by the ageism, teen speak, and the reinvention of various political wheels. It's not meant for us. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, <laughs> I know. And so I just was like, you know what, really? This, this is called $2 radio. And all I could think was, I was sitting at the desk, contemplating the plants, nature, sort of, in a pot. Anyway, and I was like, drifting my eyes over the spines, I saw Auntie Poldy, who I adore, and then this book. And I'm like, obviously, this was fate. 
This book was broadcasting on all channels for me to find it. And I love this Guardian review. And if I ever write a book, I want Christina and Sarah Moss to review it because I feel like this is a beautiful, honest review that like engages it and asks questions about the questions. I love occasionally irritating is my new catchphrase. But I was like, I, I have to read this book now. I don't think I actually would have read it if I had just read the Publishers Weekly review or even the blurb on the inside. But the Guardian review, thank you, Sarah Moss. I am going to read this book <laughs> before I put it back on the book sale shelf. Okay. And last but not least, I am going to talk to you guys about Auntie Poldy. And has anyone else read Auntie Poldy in this room, by the way? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't know about all of you, but I used to watch Geraldine McEwen as Miss Marple, and she was just so fluffy with her little heart-shaped magnifying glass and how she would go, hmm, and her knitting, and just, you know, also the dead bodies. <laughs> Anyways, I aspired to be Miss Marple when I grew up, by which I do mean when I hit, you know, the age of whatever she is, 70. And so I like, I just, I could not get over this. I was like, I watched all of the marbles. I know some people didn't like them, but I thought they were charming, if slightly frightening sometimes with all the homicide. And I was like, yep, yep, it's gonna be this. I'm gonna learn to knit. I've had knitting needles for five years. I've made no headway, but aspirations are good. And I am going to be Miss Marple. Well then, then I read Auntie Poldy and the Sicilian Lions by Mario Giordano. And I'm sorry, Miss Marple. I understand that sometimes she has that homespun cherry brandy or whatever it is, but Auntie Poldy is just so cool. Okay, this series is so rad. So Auntie Poldy is about Auntie Poldy, who decides that she, after great personal tragedy, is going to move, <laughs> I'm sorry, she's, she's gonna move to Italy and drink herself to death with a sea view. And she's 60 years old. Okay, so she, I wrote notes for this one, guys. That's how passionate I am about this series, okay? So Auntie Poldy is like, she's not really your average sleuth, all right? So yes, her goal in life after the death of her beloved ex-husband, actually, it's very complicated. She's a very romantic person. She's gonna drink herself to death with the sea view. But instead, she buys this house, which is the house, and all of her relations are concerned about her. So they have like her kind of ne'er-do-well nephew who actually is a narrator of the books, move into the attic really to watch over her, also to give him something to do because he doesn't seem to be doing anything with his life. And he is the person, the narrator of the, of the books, and he begins writing about her escapades. And of course, there's a crime, and Poldy gets involved, and she wears a wig, and no one knows what's under the wig, and she's also in love with men in uniform. She has, like, photo albums with photos of, like, police officers and other uniformed men. And I'm just like, dude, when I'm 60, I want to be, like, not bewigged, I have a lot of hair, so I don't think that that's gonna be a problem. I think the wig would not fit over my head. So I can't be that part of Poldy, even though it would obviously fulfill a dream of mine. But anyways, um, <laughs> a little side tangent there. Just, I just love her because so many, so many female protagonists, even in the mystery genre where you have protagonists of different ages, they're strong women, but how frequently do you get one that like is just really in charge of their sexuality and like no matter what age they are like it's like when they, when they it's like when they hit a certain age it's like and then they solve the crime and they were really smart but kind of like a grandma and Poldy like has all these like affairs and she's so secure in herself and like glamorous and frequently intoxicated um lots of prosecco <laughs> um, but she's just so dynamic and smart and engaging and determined and I also really like this book because despite the fact that I 
I don't quote me on this, it's been a while, but I think that she's moved over from, I want to say Germany, which may be incorrect. She's like, she becomes very quickly a part of, of the neighborhood. Like, um, Jordana engages that, you know, when you're new and you're being kind of snoopy and asking questions. She doesn't quite instantly drop in to the narrative. Um, she has to really connect and engage with the people in the neighborhood and build, you know, a, a life, so to speak. So it's just incredibly charming. I feel like I shouldn't say murder is charming, but it is charming. <laughs> it is charming. And it's just hysterically written. The translation is quite brilliant. And so I will just read for you um, in my waterlogged pages. Like the beginning is chapter one. Describes how and why Poldy moves to Sicily and what her sisters-in-law think of it. Unable to function without her wig and a bottle of brandy, Poldy invites everyone to a roast pork lunch, makes her nephew an offer he can't refuse, and gets to know all of her neighbors. One of them goes missing shortly afterwards. And the first line of the book is, On her 60th birthday, my auntie Poldy moved to Sicily, intending to drink herself comfortably to death with a sea view. That, at least, was what we were all afraid of, but something always got in the way. <laughs> Where is your charming mystery <laughs> section? <Yeah. laughs> so, dear listeners, thank you. I went way over my allotted time with this, but all I have to say is this book may be waterlogged or prosecco-logged, but I'm telling you, never judge a book by its damage. You should definitely come and buy this book, which I am going to generously put back out onto the book sale rack. And I'll also put out the word for woman is wilderness after I finish it. Maybe I'll report back on if I agree with Sarah Moss. Maybe I'll ask Sarah Moss to chat with me about it. She won't. She has no idea who I am. <laughs> but regardless. So yes. In 40 years, if you ever see a person with strange beehive hair, which will probably be as close as I can get to looking glamorous like Poldy, with Prosecco and this book on the bar table, that would be me living out my dream. <laughs> but you have to wait until, let's see, it's 2022. You have to wait until 2062 for this to occur. But it will. It will happen. <laughs> yeah, I love the conversation, like the implied conversation that is like the used books, the book bin. Because when books are new, it has that kind of, that stink of like it's a product, you know, like oh. it's unvetted. But everything in the book sale, someone sometime felt like, oh, this is for me. And then similarly was like, oh, this is no longer for me. Yeah. And I love that, like, you know, it has like a history. It has yes. like a, a human curation element that you don't get from the new books. It's like looking at the returns cart is like, what are people around me actually reading right now is very different from just like all the possibilities of a new bookstore or now with websites. It's like, you have no idea. It feels like, oh, you know, it's coming direct from the publisher. And that again, reviews are so rarely honest anymore. It just, it always has that, you know, like it's suspicious. It's so wonderful when you, if they say oh, occasionally irritating means everything positive she said about it, she actually means it. Because if she found it irritating, she'd say. <laughs> so. I think that's really true because it just occurred to me at like book sales and bookstores and even in the library, right? We go for the book that looks pristine frequently. But yet, if something is beat up and well-loved, wouldn't that mean that that's a great book? If someone spilled Prosecco on this book, doesn't that make it a great book? And Richfield, I have to say, has really, really good book sales. And I'm not just saying this. This is not a paid endorsement. This is just a fact of life. I have found some of the coolest, coolest books 
in the Richfield book. I mean, I had a lot of change before I started here in January. It is gone because it's what I've used to pay for all of my books. So oh yeah, I just want to apologize to the friends because you guys had to probably roll all that change that you found in the box. That was for me. I'm sorry. But there are so many awesome books. And so I guess people here have good taste that they then donate so other people can have good taste too. And we're having a book sale this weekend. If you are a listener and you are local and you are listening to this the week that we are publishing, stop by the library Saturday and come up peruse. You will find some of these that we talked about, perhaps, but also, you know, just a whole slew of other fantastic titles. Mm -hmm. Someone just dropped off the entire Bridgerton collection. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you never know. A lot of times people are reading what you want to be reading. Yep. Yep. Don't kill a new tree over it. Yeah. I was saying things you didn't know you needed. Like jello. jello. You too could find the many uses of jello. Your next holiday, party, birthday gathering could be saved by one of these cookbooks from the 70s. I suggest the melon bubble. <laughs> I think that for the book sale, we should actually just have like a buffet of all the different Jello. Oh yeah, Jello sampler. I will make a crown jewel. I don't know what that is, but it sounds festive. And I won't do any of the. Oh, that's cubed and that's green. Never mind. <laughs> um, like pale green. Let's close this episode. Christina, take us home. The Richfield Branch Library is a branch of the Akron Summit County Public Library. Our theme music is Examples by Cutsa and is made available to us through a Creative Commons license on the Free Music Archive. Thanks so much for joining us. Under the sea pear salad. (laughs) Ew, what makes it under the sea? It's green. Is there shrimp in it? Please tell me there's not shrimp in it. No, but there's cream cheese and pears. What? None of those things are sea. No, but it's... It's under the sea.